0: Okay, um, and good morning. So I'm Carlos Pachaca, I'm your council member, and so we have an agenda here that we wanna we wanna make sure to get through. And I'm gonna start with a few quick introductory remarks, and then we're gonna get to the conversation at hand, which is an update about the uh, the emergency beds that are coming to Red that are here in RedHug actually on Seabring. Mm-hmm. What I wanna uh, preface this conversation with is is the following. The work that this team does every day citywide to address emergency crisis that we're in right now is, is tremendous and is applauded. That work doesn't come easy because it impacts our neighborhood. So many of the things that I'm seeing even in Sunset Park where we have a history in Sunset Park with hotels converting have been some of the more difficult conversations that we've had in our community. That conversation is fueled with a lot of fear. That conversation is fueled with a lot of misinformation. That fuel, that's also fueled with a lot of compassion. I've seen so much compassion in these rooms when we talk about how we care for the homeless, care for folks who have just become homeless and are part of a family. I've also been so thankful that the conversation doesn't just stop at what's happening on my block. It's actually bringing up conversations. Thanks, sorry. Turn off all your phones. Great. Uh, it's also brought up conversations about the housing plan that de Blasio has been pushing, which I have been an incredible critic of, and so has the council. The reason we have homelessness is because we're not building housing, enough housing, at, at an affordable rate. His MIH plan does not get to the point where we can actually shift homeless families into homes. We are working on legislation right now in the city council with a really bold move to do mandatory inclusionary housing for the homeless at 15% set aside. Now we're dealing with a lot of uh, opposition from the mayor's office. I think one of the key persons that is in opposition is Alicia Glenn. One of the greatest news that I got this morning was that she's leaving. she's leaving the administration. So I'm really excited about that so I think we're, we're going to get we're going to get our, our voices heard on the city council floor with the opportunity to really push this concept. All of that is not for discussion today. That I want to save for another discussion and I'm hoping that while you sign in to this sheet that you come back and we can talk about the policy sides that, are, that can actually help solve this crisis. And this administration on the DSS side is trying to do that. They need help. They need our help to make sure that we can actually put people into housing, affordable housing, housing at the affordable rates that we deserve as a community. What is in bounds for conversation today is to get all the information we can from this administration about the shelter that's here today. Now. I'm going to be using words that are probably not the right words, and so they're going to correct us. They're going to say, this is this, this is that. But here's the ultimate thing. Red Hook has a history of caring for its neighbors. And just like the Bible verse talks about, give graciously to the poor man and you lend to the Lord, the Lord will return for the good deeds. That's the, that's the golden rule here in Red Hook. That's what we do We've been doing forever that's what defines us as a community because we're small i told him that we couldn't keep this meeting small that that was the right i was the trying to try to negotiate this um but what i did demand was that we have a conversation because you're invited to a place that cares and that's why they're here and so i want to thank you for, for doing that this is going to be uncomfortable but i want to thank you for your time and I hope to see you continue, continuously as we continue this conversation. <coughs> the last thing i want to say is that we're gonna have a next steps conversation. And in that conversation, I want to, and I don't know how much time we're gonna have at that point, but to engage the administration on a request that they're making of every community board, of every council, which is to create a plan for a permanent shelter in the Red Hook that has the wraparound resources that we are demanding that we're not seeing in Sunset Park at the hotels because the community is saying there's not enough services. A permanent shelter would get us there. That's a hard conversation for any neighborhood, but I think Redwood can <coughs> do that. I think Sunset Park can do that. In fact, I think Sunset Park is actually moving in that direction right now.
1: With that said, I'm gonna hand it over. Uh, I don't know if I'm actually going to do the presentation and yes. thank you, for having Good. us. Thank you. Um, I like the fact we were standing and I'm probably gonna do the same. Yeah. Um, Go for it. Um, you know, I, I think it is important to talk to communities and that's why we're here to this morning, right? I don't know how many of you saw the news on Tuesday night or Wednesday morning when we went out to a neighborhood in Queens, College Point, to talk about a shelter um, that was opening in their community. Um, understanding you all, I'll talk about the history, but I'm, I'm putting this up front because I think it's important to recognize that people who are experiencing homelessness deserve some respect. I grew up doubled up, and by the grace of God, I didn't end up in shelter, right? I'm an immigrant. I was in many, many years ago, 1992 to 94, working here as a social worker. Um, I going know what the, the neighborhood was then, right? And when I was a younger person coming here at 12 years old I lived with three aunts and about 14 people in an apartment because we didn't go to shelter, right? And I was able to make it out. Some of my folks didn't, they're in prison and whatnot. But those who are experiencing homelessness, I said, just one paycheck away for, for most of us in this room. And the neighborhood that we're in, College Point, came with such venom and vitriol at the staff and were very outwardly racist to us and outwardly demeaning to the folks that we serve every single day. And I've been at the Department of Homeless Services for almost 15 years, and I do that work because I think it's important that people recognize that folks experiencing homelessness, that they're not favored, that they don't deserve less, that they're people who have families and some have fallen in hard times. And in the past administrations, administration because it was one before this for 12 years that really came into neighborhoods overnight and didn't give opportunities for people to learn about why we're doing what we're doing. And there was no opportunity to have any kind of conversations because in fact, they didn't allow us to do that. The mayor at that time didn't want to face community and this current administration has asked that we do this and I believe it's the right thing to do. I believe if you understand what we're doing and what we're driving towards, it makes it easy. It's not easy with all of you in this room. In fact, I've had to take my husband around the neighborhood that I live in to show him facilities that are shelters that he didn't know that are shelters. And he lived there for almost 30 years. And I contend that when you see people (coughs) on the street, that's not necessarily who are experiencing homelessness. Most folks experiencing homelessness are are families with children. However, we have individuals, males, single males, and single women who are also experiencing homelessness. But the folks who are homeless by far in this city, women with children, working and struggling to make ends meet. I just cannot do that. Because you all know that rents have been rising. You know that is true. And you also know that wages have remained flat, right? So people who are working hard can't afford the rent. And I do understand that some people think, I am not one of them, that people come into the system to really <coughs> scam the system. But I don't think any person chooses to be homeless. I absolutely don't believe that. And at the Department of Homeless Services, I worked in every area. I worked in family services where I saw moms and children. I worked at our intake center where moms came with their garbage bags and their children seeking services from us. And I believe we need to treat people in a way that I want to be treated and all you want to be treated. But when this administration changed, <coughs> they mayor put a plan out called Turning the Tide. And recognizing that in 2011, under the different administration that we are under, the subsidy that we had that helped folks who were experiencing homelessness exit ended abruptly. So, we had a tool to have people who came to us leave shelter. And I woke up one morning and there was no more advantage program. That's in 2011. And as a result of that, homelessness really increased 150 percent At that time, there were 38,000 people in shelter. Today, it's over 61,000. And that's because we had no means to exit folks to affordable housing, right? We had no means to do that, and so folks came to, to us seeking shelter, and, and so they came in. We had no way of getting them to exit. And the mayor asked us to think about how can we do that in a way that said, you know, <laughs> we're treating you as humans, and we're treating you with dignity and respect. And the attorney of the Thai clan, as we call it, really has four tenets. Four tenet that says we're going to go upstream and prevent homelessness when we can, right? We're going to make sure that if people don't have to come to us and remain safety in safety house, we're going to do so. We're gonna put in place legal services. So every client who goes in certain neighborhoods, and we're gonna expand it citywide, right, now it's in certain neighborhoods, we feed our system. We're gonna give every individual at the housing court a lawyer, right? So if I went into court as a landlord, I can hire a lawyer because I have that means. And I have that opportunity to say to the judge, this is my attorney who's representing me, and those folks who are being evicted, many of them illegally, don't have that support with them. And so we've put that legal support to them, and we have been able to keep folks out of shelter, a 27% decline. So I imagine if those folks had not had a lawyer, that there would be even more than 61,000 people. That's the first tenant, right? We want to think about how we do that. In 2016 also, lots of people, there was lots of news every single day about people PC- <coughs> seeing folks who were perceived as homeless, and some were, on the street. And we're getting tons of negative press around that. And how did we, and how could we really help that, and how can we reduce that? And so we put together what we call the Homestead Program, and that is teams who are on the street 24-7, 365 <laughs> days a year, working for the folks who are experiencing homelessness on the street. And those folks that people see on the street, that's not the majority of our people. That was, at the time, 4,000 individuals, and when you put it in context, we have 4,000 individuals who live on the street, we reduced it by 2,000, so there's 2,000. i will tell you about that in a minute. But on the West Coast, there's 61,000 people on the street. So it's a real different, different <coughs> setup. We believe in be the right to shelter. So if somebody comes to me seeking shelter, I have to and right? And so we put folks in the street to engage those on the street. And it takes about six months to engage a person to have trust to come into us. It is every day going to that person and saying, hey, are you okay? Now, it's not a crime to be on the street. It is not a time to be on the street. And unless people are breaking the law, we cannot force them to come in. The only time we do that is when the temperature drops below thirty-two degrees, and that is called a cold bloom. And so in the wintertime, we really go out and we move people physically during that time. And we say you have to come in because we don't want people on the street freezing to death. But our homestead program from twenty sixteen to today have moved over two thousand people off the street. Now, I recognize that some of are on the street, but those folks really come from different cities and come to panhandle. Panhandlers are not homeless individuals, right? The folks on the street are those who are experiencing a mental health disorder, right? They may have substance abuse disorder. They may decide that, you know, I don't want to live in my families. But they also are humans. But because of this host, that program, almost 2,000 have come in. And we know most of the folks on the street by this. By- <coughs> we know what their needs are. We bring folks to help them, and we bring nurses, we bring psychiatry, we bring medical, so we want to make sure that those who choose to not come in, don't come in. And we have for them really low threshold shelters, and I'll talk about that in a minute, meaning that we give them opportunity to come in without lots of barriers to them. These are folks who are entrenched, these are the folks you see on the street and in the subways that we're trying to work on. We use providers, CORE of a provider, and Ron Jackson will talk to you about him in a what we need to provide is to help us, because we know we can't do this work alone. <coughs> the Department of Home Services is 2,000 employees who work and strive every single day to help those who need our services. So that's Homestead, right? So we really think about if you come into shelter or if you're at risk of being evicted, how do we exit you? The third tenant is rehousing, right? So we talk about if people come to us, how do we exit? And the Advantage Program I talked about ended up This administration was able to put together several subsidies to help families and individuals exit shelter and to help those who are in their homes, who are at the brink of losing their homes, to prevent them. And you would be pleased to know that 101,000 people have exited from shelter or remains to be Now I think that's a big feat for the administration and for the Department of Homeless Services, because if I had 101,000 extra people in the system, I really couldn't survive. We couldn't make it every single night. As a right to shelter city, if somebody comes to me and I don't have a bed for them, that is <coughs> illegal. And I used to say when I didn't sit in the seat that the commissioner goes to jail. Now I sit in the seat, that means I go to jail, mm. right? And I don't want to do that. I have a husband and I have a 12-year-old who just turned 12 last Friday. And I want to make sure I go home to him and I want to make sure that I also serve the people. So my staff, Department of Homeland Services, is a small, you know, area of the Department of the Social Services, and we work with our colleagues to help people exit. They manage the subsidies, um, HRA, and we all report up to Stephen Banks, who is the Commissioner of the Department of Homeless Services, and we also know that he's the person that sued the city for the right to shelter. I believe it's the right thing to do if people come to us. And the last point that I'm gonna make, and I know this is a point that's very contentious to many people that I speak to, but I need to understand why this is important. When we were housing people, back in the day, and I was one of those people, because my administration said, I'm not gonna open any shelves, we're gonna sneak in. And what happened is that people were put in situations and places that were substandard. They were called cluster apartments, they're mostly in the Bronx, and I went into some of them where the floors were breaking and the rats were coming down, which didn't freak me out on nice, but the big flying roaches were all over the place, and that freaked me out. But people lived in these apartments. People lived in these apartments where sometimes there was no heat, and, you know, there was no hot water. and it was, I mean, it was really bad. And the administration said, we're going to close these over time, and we're going to open shelters to really make sure that if I needed to come into shelter, there'd be a place I'd want to stay. And that's why we've been working to open 90 new small borough-based shelters. So if I had to come to shelter from Brooklyn, I didn't have to be placed to Staten Island. So kids remain in their borough of choice of where they live so they could continue school. They could to go to the medical and not travel all these hours. And yes, it's hard to put a shelter in a neighborhood, but we also recognize that folks who come to us come from certain neighborhoods, and we want to be able to place them back in their neighborhoods. And so we're asking communities, and we sent a letter out to the council who can ask us to really look at places in your neighborhood that can help us provide permanent shelter that meet the needs of the individuals. We do this work in conjunction with our partners, um, and of course, one of these partners who do great work, And they work with families and individuals to really make sure that they have an independent living plan, that their needs are met, that they get connected to community. But most of all, we make sure that we're exiting. things goes for two houses, and that's not a hard job because I said the housing stuff has come down, and lots of places that I used to be able to make people have people exit to those apartments are not there. I drive through. I was here. I talked about Mm 1992, and I'll tell you, I was here when Vince O'Dea got shot. Mm -hmm. I worked in that school as a social worker. I went to homes in Red Hook. And I remember the mom saying to me, as I came in on the bus, you cannot get on that bus and get off by yourself. I will meet you there because this place is very unsafe. This has come a long way. But many of the neighborhoods that have come a long way have really pushed people out. And so when I was able to have people exit, those places are not there. So it's really a small, and folks who have money also find it hard to find housing. Imagine people who are exiting with a subsidy, how hard it is when, when, when people who are rented to them say, I don't want a subsidy, I don't want a person who's, exited, who's coming from homelessness, and what that says to people. And to that, DSS, Department Social of social services, really created a unit to help a source of income discrimination, because if I have a subsidy, I should not be told I don't want you. That is, te- you know, almost saying to me, I don't want blacks, I don't want Jewish, I don't want Mexican, I don't want Rican. I don't need any of those. That is wrong, we have been able to really begin to sue, sue landlords. But to open 90 new shelters, I need community help. And those, where we open a permanent shelter, either from the ground up, or converting buildings that providers bring to us through an open-ended RFP, we have to rely on communities to say, it's okay that you're experiencing homelessness, we're not going to be nasty. We're not going to be racist. We're not going to be recognized. That this experience, experience, is just an experience, right? But in the middle of the night, you all, every time somebody comes into our intake centers, whether it's families with children, adult families who have no young children, single adults, I have to know they have they have to have a place to stay. And during the winter time, the people who come to our schools are single adults. It is cyclical. In the summertime, families with children, census goes up and the time is single adults. And if somebody's sitting in my intake center, they have to be exited. If they're not exited, they're coming before 10, they need to be out by 2 a.m. And that is why we have emergency hotels, which we are going to phase out as we build permanent shelters. Permanent shelters, have, we have to notify, we're keeping this promise, to notify 30 days in advance to community. We have this community meeting that had seven hundred people <coughs> months ago. I talked about, and sometimes I walk into these rooms and I like I'm flabbergasted by who's in the room, but I'm
2: flabbergasted by what they say to us.
1: But I like So we have these emergency hotels. They are not permanent shelters. And as we bring up permanent shelters, we have said to communities that we're going to close hotels. We are beginning to close clusters now. We have really reduced our footprint by 50%. We have closed over 1,800 cluster units in the past two years. And as we bring those down, of course, my ability to place the customers that we never wanted to do has gone down. But emergency hotels use has gone up. And I will be upfront with you. Those are on an emergency versus a basis. And right now in the wintertime, they need it for single adults, single men and single women. And that's why we open them. <coughs> We don't have the opportunity to say, hey, council member, I have three days to open this hotel, but I have a, I have a full intake facility that I have to make sure these men and these women have a place to go to, and that's where you open these hotels. We work with providers. So CORE came to us maybe four or five years ago. I wasn't in school, but I worked with CORE to bring their help to become a provider with us. And CORE has really made a big difference with their permanent <laughs> shelters as well as with hotels of course, one of these providers who do work with the community, and the most one of the most contentious opening was a shelter for single single senior men, right. Right? and we'll talk about that, that had really horrible, like, a the town hall, that people said, you don't want to. These men are going to rob, these men are going <coughs> to pray, and that has not happened. In fact, they have really formed a really good, cohesive bond with the neighborhood, and the men are doing lots of work in the neighborhood, planting and cleaning and everything else. We provide security, we provide perimeter checks. We provide, really, cameras. And we do lots of work. But the good thing is, the men are thriving, and the neighborhood has really welcomed that permanent facility in their neighborhood and really <laughs> work together, right, want And so, our plan is comprehensive, our plan is difficult. My folks who work with me, the team, endure every single day because we recognize that folks who come to us need our help. Now, we're doing this in what we call a trauma-informed way, When folks come into the community, single men, they should not be followed. People should not call in names at night. People should not take pictures of them and post them on Facebook, and that's what we're facing in certain neighborhoods. And I'm appealing to you all to really work with us. And I understand it It is difficult. I understand that because my own husband, and I've been there 15 years, talks about people who are experiencing homelessness in a way that I didn't think is correct. Now he worked, he retired, thank God. He worked at Verizon which is, you know, nothing with social services. And here he has a wife who is a social worker by training and by choice who believes that every person deserves to be treated well. And he had this idea that people can just go find apartments, they could just get off the street. And I had to point out to him and help him understand that he's that come a long way. And I'm hoping that after this conversation that you take some incremental steps that actually come a long way with us. And this is just the beginning. Corey's gonna tell me now a little bit about their work and how you can be helpful to us. I will be open for questions. I'll take every single question that you have. I'll continue working with who on is going to give you everything which was his contact information. And we hope that this is productive today. I hope that you can ask the questions in the way that I am able to answer. If I can't answer, I'll tell you I cannot. If I don't know the answer, we'll get back to you through a council member in his office. But I'm not going to be here to tell you things that's not true, right? I can't tell you that the, the, the hotel will not open. I can't tell you that. I wish that we didn't have a, a place in New York City that we have folks in That is my hope that we can really end it. Now, because when I'm sick at night, and I was sick because you all, you know, I have some medical conditions, where I had to end up in a hospital, the emergency room. And that is what the shelter is, right? The permanent shelter is tantamount for you going to your primary care. So I can book it in advance. Hey, Dr. Reddy, I need to come in. He says, come in three weeks, because I'm not sick It's a wellness check. But that the ambulance came to me and I had to go to the hospital. It happened to me twice, it probably happened again because I do have seizure disorder and I'm disclosing a lot. And sometimes that happens because stress does. And going to neighborhoods where people are really angry. It can you know, it does sometimes make me a little bit off, but I hope that I don't get that today. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> you guys don't want to see
1: that it's not a good look. Um, And sometimes I'm just really nicely, you know, I don't want to get the time. But anyway, um, you know, so emergency shelters is like going to an emergency room at night. That, I have folks filling the buildings that come to us. And people also think they come from other jurisdictions to come to us, And am here to you, people don't do that. The folks who come from jurisdictions have ties to the neighborhood, and they have moved out because they thought they could do better. Just like lots of people from the city, you know, they retire, they go move down south, they realize that, you know what, I can't make it that come back to New York City, that's what we have. Um, so they have ties to the city, they've lived here all their lives, and they thought they'll try someplace else to do better, but they need to be connected like all of us to family and support and friends. And so I'm gonna answer every question, but before I do that, I'm gonna have one come up. i probably spoken to on right now. My, my, my person child is supposed to stop me, but he doesn't, he say, um, Because I can keep talking, but I do want you to hear from the provider, because I think that's important, because he's gonna be the person, and the wonderful <coughs> staff, for you to work with, every single day to answer your questions, so you reach out to him if you have concerns. If you have anything that you think is on by all folks who come to us, that's happening all of our folks, it's not just mine, it's the city. And we need to work hand in hand <coughs> on the ground level. I don't want to be up here. I mean, I go out to communities. I talk to young people. I talk to older people. I talk to every person. I talk to folks who I was out on Tuesday morning at 7am in mean, the coldest morning that I've been out talking to folks who are on the street and recognizing, again, it takes six months to build that trust. So they didn't know who I was. But I want to know what this story is. And so we're going to turn
3: it over right now, start talking and go and Jackson will tell us Thank you, Joseph thank you. I appreciate the warm introduction. Um I want to thank everyone, thank the school for hosting the meeting this morning. I uh, thank you as well for introducing the meeting and uh opening up the doors for us. Um this you guys have been great already. Um uh, Johnson had referenced the program that we opened a little over a year ago um on 1173 Bergen, that was conventions. Um we came came to a community with a similar situation and there were some concerns. And um part of course, motto, we've been operating family shelters uh single adult shelters, now, emergency, uh, uh, and now the commercial hotel shelter since 2014. And one thing that we've done uh, to be successful and to really make sure that it's a partnership is to incorporate the community. Um, in addition to that, we make sure that we provide, obviously I'll talk a little bit about our security plan, what our RAs, our resident assistance uh, model looks like in terms of the day-to-day operations of what our shelter looks like, um, and how we kind of partner with the community to make sure that we can address your needs and concerns in real time. Um, so, okay, okay. so some of the things that we do is you know we look at staffing right right from the beginning. Um, I think our staffing model, um, in terms of who's on the site day to day, is inclusive of everything from a program director to social workers to uh, uh, job developers to housing specialists to case managers to make sure that we meet a ratio that is consistent with the number of clients that we have. Uh, one thing that we like to think is if we, we provide enough staffing, then we can meet. Um, Client concerns in real time and then we can try to make sure that we address any needs that come up um, some of the things that we've done that were successful at bergen that we plan to implement here as well is we will partner with the local precinct um, in that case it was the 77th precinct here i believe it's the 76th we'll partner with the neighborhood coordinating officers we want to get to know who they are so that when they come and interface with our clients we can have real time dialogue about concerns we also want to hear about successes it's not always bad things that happen with clients sometimes um you know, clients do things that are really good, and we want to know about that too. Um, we will partner with any faith-based organizations in the area. We want to know where the churches are. We want to know where the synagogues are, where the mosques are. Anyone that we can uh, reach out to for some additional support to help transition our clients, we want to have, you know we want to be part of that dialogue and that conversation. Um, other things that we have done that work out very well, I think you'll see uh, the security team that we bring in. We staff with about seven guards per shift in addition to resident assistants who are also on, uh, on shift with them. Uh, and we'll do perimeter roles. We'll do one to two block perimeter roads to make sure that our clients are, are um, engaged in the community and acting as every other citizen in the community. Our expectation is that clients will come and go. Um, they will be employed, they will work, and we will work uh, with the subsidies that we have through the city to exit them from shelter as quickly as possible. Um, our goal is to bring clients in to assess them um, to get them kind of geared up and, and teamed up for what they need to exit shelter and to get them back into the community as quickly as possible, living independently uh, through the substance that are available. So um, I know you guys probably have some questions. Um, mm-hmm. Is there any other questions that pop or anything that jumps out at you for I'm um, sure
0: Thank you so much, <laughs> you for doing that. And I uh, sure, uh, sure. think uh, uh, thank you for that presentation. Uh, and I think there's a lot of questions about the shelter, so I'm gonna take mm-hmm. questions about the shelter, uh, and anything relating to, to the contract. Uh, if you could, I'll ask the first question. When was the first night? Uh, and I will say that we got we got a, like a 24, <coughs> 30 hour uh, Us and the sit at the community board, Indeed, those are the two yeah. calls you made. Um, no, they called us also. Okay, and the Senate member. Anyone else got called? Two seven You, the Could
4: you or would it been all the elected
0: officials plus the community board. All the, ele- all the elected officials and the community board got called uh, 24 hours in advance okay. of the opening. Can you walk us through the ramp up Land. first of uh, the lo- the time the timeline?
1: Could I just I can speak to that? Yeah, um, I talked about the winter and as folks come in. So as, I, as we're placing people during the day and at night, we realize um, that we're gonna run out of beds. If you're out of beds, I can tell you, running out of beds is something that cannot happen because of the right to shelter. So for us, we're really monitoring where folks are coming and what the capacity is, right? And so if people are coming in on that weekend, on that Thursday or Friday night or whatever day it is, I have to have the cushions of so folks can go there. Sometimes we're able to say, I don't need it. But as winter is very, very cold, then we need it, right? And I have people who work in what we call our vacancy control, looking at the numbers and saying, this is a projection. You're gonna run out on this day. I cannot run out of beds. And so with the, our IGA partners, we say we really need, we're gonna to have to go in. And we're really looking at it because we don't wanna go in if we don't have to go in, right? That's how an emergency hotel happens. Right, so council member, I know you're talking about, this is a shelter in this room, this is an emergency hotel. The part of our plan is that we're going to have permanent shelters and that we're gonna close hotels, right? So that plan is as we bring shelters up, and the harder that is for us to bring shelters up, and it's a fight every time we bring shelters up because it's delayed and delayed and delayed. We just won a litigation in 58th Street in, in the, that's the of Manhattan, I suppose, um, and we were taken to court and we were to open that men's shelter, employable men's shelter to have those units, that did not happen. We won two nights ago, and we were stopped from moving on until the court said it's okay. The litigation happened has cool, right? And um, we win. Right. It's right, so we're not doing anything wrong. Right. But we have to go to court, and that delays permanent shelters from opening. Every community has really pushed back because they don't want it. And as that delays the opening, yes, we have to use emergency, emergency capacity. capacity. So as, as the the openings are delayed, and I have people in that we try to give we give 24-hour notice. Permanent and we're committing three days. Can you walk us through the ramp up
0: when the first the the, the first and then the maximum
3: capacity? So yes. We'll only can that. Yeah. So <laughs> the first clients arrived to the facility Friday evening. Um, we uh, we met with our new staff. We met with staff. We pulled some staff from existing sites to come over who were experienced in the the population. Um, I just walked, I was at the site again this morning. I walked over, I kind of wanted to get the feel for how close the school was to the site so we'd have a better understanding of what some of the perimeter concerns were. Okay. Um, so clients came in, uh, they were assigned their beds, uh, they were given their case manager, uh, the name of their case manager, and then the intake process started immediately when clients come in. So we begin the assessment from the minute the client walks in the door. How many, how, how many? many the first night? Uh, the so first, yep. Yeah.
1: Can I just jump in and just uh-huh. clarify one thing y'all? When, when folks come to our intake site, on the single adult side, they're placed into an intakes, into an assessment center where the Department of Homeless Services are doing an assessment if they're employed or employable. So from our intake center, they go first go to assessment, and that is for the single adult men, 30th Street in Bed Atlantic, Bedford Atlantic in Brooklyn. And once we assess that they're employable, we're transferring those folks to employable shelters, right? And then, so the folks from assessment who are employable then get transferred and then we move to our assessment center. So we know that one shop is getting folks who meet that criteria of employed and employable because that intake would be not looked Right. So, so it's so there's a a single, single male? The single
4: male males who are employed or. or employable and that's going to be the population that this And, is. and, and then the maximum uh, capacity?
0: 152 beds maximum. 152 beds maximum started on friday night and are we at
3: maximum right now no uh right now we have uh, 30 clients in the in the building okay we have 30. so we've already begun to clients are already working some clients are already going to work some clients are already we're getting schedules to make sure that the time that they come back is consistent with the curfew and just kind of making sure that we can account for income so we can try to see who's eligible for service. So could so could try so to repeat so
5: the, the who and how many, like just the facts? Of, yes, the in first, fact, my team is putting notes
0: together, so we want to send that out to folks. But uh, really quick uh, this is a men's shelter, uh, employee or employable, with a maximum capacity of 151 seats. So, sure. 152. 152. 152. We're listening, that's great. 152. Uh, and there are 30 clients right now. And this is the address of Sebring. Uh, this is the hotel. Yes, 17. 17 Sebring. 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 Okay, I'm gonna ask you to cooperate with me. We're gonna go one. Did you have a question, Jerry? Yes. One, uh, Karen, Jerry, and then Karen again. Good morning. Good morning. And then first, first three. I'm gonna go three at a time.
6: Yeah. So uh, one of my questions is um, that timetable of 24 hours letting the uh representatives of this community know. Um even in lieu of an emergency, I don't think that really speaks to uh the mayor's office thinking forward. You know what I'm saying? Uh 24 hours is not enough to give our officials notice and 30 days as a standard is definitely not enough to talk about this conversation. The other thing is I thought the mayor said that the people would be coming from the community and that each community would be responsible for its own homeless. We'd like to see how that criteria works and how you're assessing who's employable and unemployable, because a lot of times people from public housing are vetted as unemployable when they are employable. So I don't know what your standard is for employability, and that would be an issue as well. So there's a number of questions. I'm going to send them to Carlos. Yeah,
0: thank you so much. We're going to follow up with some some follow-up questions. Uh, can, we, can you set, answer the second question and then I'm going uh, to help with uh, the first question. Sure, yeah. the affordability question and local kind of local preference for our community coming into the shelters. and how we, we have homeless right that. here. We have <coughs> and how we monitor that. <coughs> Excuse me, I
6: saw a kid on the corner who's what? under mental duress sure. because he doesn't have a home. Yes. And if I, we're going to house people, we want to house people from this community that yes. we're familiar with, that yes. we know their circumstances okay. because this community is organized. That's right.
3: I think I can answer the second part. And I'll answer the first. Right? Sure, I about
6: it. employability? Yeah. Uh, Ms. Brown, right? you'll, you'll, no, in no, no, I'm Cameron right, okay, coming came up. She she up. <laughs> All right,
3: um, so just in terms of employability, um, one thing we do is we'll do an assessment um, to support what has already been, been done on DHS intake regarding mm-hmm. employability, right? We'll partner with uh, Workforce One at 9 Bond Street. Um, we'll reach out to find out what hiring campaigns are going on. We'll, we'll try to gauge what a, a client's education level was. What their proficiency is in terms of what type of employment we can match them with. Um, part of what we do, and just core a model, it's, it's not unlike us to hire clients ourselves, right? Uh, depending on respect <coughs> what the, what the facility, we can place them in. Uh, I think we spoke about this briefly, so pardon me with the confusion with the two Karen's. Um, we employ from the communities that we operate in. I know the conversation that we had yesterday was, um, we have, if there's some vacancies available, for example, the young man that you mentioned, if he's a good fit, that's somebody that specifically we'd like to bring in and say, look, is this a person that we can bring in to hire, right? Because we know that- He needs he, a home. Well, okay, let's start with deployability first, right? Because um, one thing we know for certain is that if, if clients and if, if folks are working, they can afford to have a place to live, right? That's pretty much what we know for certain. And we look at the income and we look at what portion of income can be saved uh, to help support having viable housing. So in the case of this young man, I don't want to talk too much personal about him. We can talk offline. Can yeah, I just give a big picture of the person that you see in
1: the street? Um, so I talk about the Homestead program. And so you can see people on the street form 311, and our teams will come out and try to engage them to come in. And I recognize that most people there on the street, they, you know, it takes a while for them to come in.
6: Especially black boys, because exactly, they weren't boys. treated correctly right. when they were coming That's to the right. shelters in so the past. If- they so, were the ones who were punitively um, punished, whether it was them or not. And so that created a stigmatism and a barrier for the kids that I am concerned with. So I'm me, concerned yeah. with the kids from this neighborhood who don't have a place to live. So
1: let me talk about the first thing, the stigmatization, All right? So we are working on... So what happens, right? So I believe, and Lori believes, and Gordon, I know, Annabelle believes, and try, that we should not... We should not, because somebody's coming in to you know, really arrest people, right? And we're working with the criminal justice system, so people who come to us are not arrested. I believe that lots of folks in our system are arrested for low-level crimes that they should not be arrested for. And so we're doing a pilot to stop that, right? Remember, the, remember this is the new administration right now, that the second term, but there's a history. I'm gonna join you and tell you that's true. And we're talking very publicly about that, because I don't want black boys, because I have one, that doesn't happen. I have a, a young cousin who's in jail right now, the stuff that he shouldn't be in jail for. So I, I, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm not telling you, you anything, Karen, that you don't know. But part of folks who are on the street, what we want to do is to try to engage them to come in. Now, if young people or old people or people my age are on the street and don't want to come into a traditional shelter because they're afraid of Bellevue, Right, that's where they come in through single men. And we're working to change that perception, right? We're changing that perception that people are experiencing homelessness need to be treated in a way as criminals they're not, right? And when they're in, in Bellevue, I don't want people to be mistreated in the shelter. That is, I've been there for a year and a half in this seat, but I've been there for 14 years. It'll be my 15th year in June. And I don't want people to treat our folks like I don't want our folks arrested. And we're trying to change that trend. NYPD is providing management to us. We're working with NYPD because they have some different mindsets, right? And so we're working to look at how do they do work with us rather than going straight to arrest. That should not happen, and I'm so saying we're that gonna very publicly. publicly. I'm we're just to pause really quick and okay. see if we can
0: focus on a component of local. Preference. So the local people, right? So
1: people right now in this district, law enforcement, wrong. We have people right now in in hotels and shelters. More people, uh, less people in than from, right? Let's people in shelter throughout the system. let in, in this, in, in, in District in this, 38 in or in this. Right, what district is it? CB 6 I don't have it broken down by, right, we have it by communities. But what we're doing is as folks come in from this neighborhood or any other neighborhood, and our first preference is those folks who come from the neighborhoods we're going into, we place them in those, right? So there's 30 people, I can't tell you the percentage of this neighborhood right now, we can look at that. But we're looking at folks who have and we're asking people. Some people don't want to come back to the neighborhoods. Some people don't, because they may have some other issues happening. So the Department of Homeless Services, we're committed to doing that, right? So those nights when I'm transferring and knowing that, that but I'm, my, my commitment is to get to get people from neighborhoods into neighborhoods. And that may not necessarily happen because of availability. Appeal- so just a couple of points of
4: clarification. If an individual comes into intake and this was their last known address, they will be assessed. For verification of that and they'll be offered an opportunity to return to a shelter if there is one in their particular neighborhood and they will return. <laughs> Excuse me. However, if Sorry. we have a facility in a community and everyone who is from the community that is homeless doesn't want to return to the community, because we have a mandate to meet our capacity needs, we cannot hold beds to only have them for some of yeah. the community. We must fill those beds with other individuals who need to be placed. So I think the priority and the preference under the borough-based plan is always to identify people from communities, give them the opportunity to return to those communities as much as possible. We still have to meet our capacities. And then the other layer to, layer to that is if there's a domestic violence situation or other situation that precludes a person from returning to a particular zip code or area, those individuals automatically are read out their home communities for that reason. And one of the number one drivers in our system is domestic violence. So there are a bunch of factors and variables that have to be considered in terms of how we place people from community back in community. But I think the point that Dawson was trying to make and to underscore that is that the mayor's plan, preference is to do that as much as possible. Community. Thank you
0: for that. And so what I'm gonna do is, it, it's 15 to till, till 10. Uh, we said that we were gonna end at 10. Can we move it to 10, 10? Will everybody stay here for another 10 minutes after? Is that okay? Yes. Great. Just the, no,
1: just 10 10 because I have to get back to 10, this. 10 year.
0: yeah, I, I promise. 10 10, we're going to stop the meeting and we're going to continue the conversation. So uh, I want questions to be asked. Hold the back and forth. We can get to many questions. I want to three questions at the same time. And I'm going to ask you all to, to
6: keep it short as well. Absolutely. Okay. There
4: was one other, sorry, I'm supposed
6: to. Miss Blondell. Ms.
4: Blondell also asked a question about notification. Notification, yeah. An so under the Mayor's Turning the Tide Plan, the minimum commitment for a traditional shelter was that we would give communities 30 days notice in advance of that shelter opening. A On day. average, A permanent shelter. On average for permanent shelters, we've averaged closer to 65, 70, 80 days between notify a community and when the shelter is actually able to open. For a hotel, because it's an emergency use, we don't even get a, we have no, no um, we don't have a go-ahead to use a facility to give a 30-day notice, right? And so as soon as we know we have a capacity need that's not met, and there's a decision to identify beds in the hotel so that Jocelyn doesn't go to jail, at that point in time, when that decision is made, <coughs> you the trigger, we notify the community um, once we have that information. And so, and because it's an emergency use, obviously we don't anticipate having to stay there. And I think the point that Jocelyn is trying to make is that as we open, full capacity in traditional sites, you wouldn't have to use the hotels or the cluster sites and the more opposition we face with opening the traditional sites, we actually are <coughs> forced to have to then use the hotels um, and the cluster sites to, to provide that capacity. So that's sort of how that. Thank you, Thank you for that. And what I, what so I want to so say. I just, I just want
2: to clarify, um, just ask um since we've been closing clusters, we have not placed any any other individual, homeless individual, into clusters. Clusters are not now, those being, able are being to phased out. So we are actually
4: phasing out the clusters. The next round will be to phase out the, the hotel, hotel use. But in order to do it, we have to be able to bring on the capacity and the traditional shelters.
0: Great, and so what, we're, gonna bring, we're gonna come back to that at the end. That'll be my final comment. What I will say is that this has been, this is not my first shelter in this district. This is not their first, and you could tell this is a very difficult component of it. The, the nature of the beast is <coughs> the one just explained. What I'm working on right now, because of what just happened, is legislation that actually forces them to do this, not because of their agreement, but because by law, I want them to come into communities and have the expectation to come to communities. It's happening here in Red Hook, but I just told my ancestor, I'm working on the legislation, that we're gonna force a whatever ex-negotiated t- hours after a, an emergency shelter, they do this. This was a really tricky thing. <laughs> we tripped along the way to get to this day this morning, and people were already walking in feeling like, what I was not invited, That I want that to change, I want that to be an expectation, so heads up,
4: that conversation is coming, sure, and
0: we're going to work on that. I want to I say three say, questions to be given, I, I want three questions to be given, Jerry, Karen, one, two, and three. Questions?
4: I don't even have three. Uh maybe. two You came, you obviously knew and negotiated with the hotel before Friday. Right. So, uh, and you earlier in your statement, you said you were going to work with the local precinct, the 7-6 and the NCO, Uh, but you haven't done an outreach to them yet or to the community board. So when are you going to do that?
3: Um, Those conversations start, uh, we'll reach out to the precinct, I'll reach out to the precinct, you know, just to be transparent, I'll reach out to the precinct this morning. Uh, We'll start that conversation. Um, part of onboarding a new site is just kind of getting adjusted to being in a new location and getting to know the client and kind of who's playing. But I think that starts right now. I My comment
4: what's to what's that concept. is, if you know you're going into a precinct, please Absolutely. make it a little sooner than,
3: don't wait till you're there.
4: Right. So, so uh,
0: Jerry's from the community
4: board and Mike
0: is the district manager. Do you have a comment so, or question? Well, to that point, uh, I would
3: like, I didn't hear about this until so Carlos, uh, so I'm wondering just, would you guys eventually be going to do a meeting with one of our committees or something along those lines to explain, you know, some of the stuff you're talking about, and I think you're talking about
0: systemic issues and the process, but, you know, this meeting is one thing, but, you know, it's, not, it's certainly not public, and, you know, people are going to have a lot of questions. And, and I, I think you've done <laughs> sort of, you've done answering them, certainly, but, you know, I'm sure there's more there that I can't think of. Can um. So I think that what we would do
4: typically in this case is as a hotel is find opportunities if you want to give us the community of the committees on the community board that would be appropriate for us to have to <coughs> and it would be a combination of both myself or someone from my team as well as someone from CORE. and so we're happy to find ways to come to community meetings what i the point i wanted to make earlier is that this was tricky because it was called on at the last minute and we don't traditionally do large community meetings for an emergency use because the expectation is that we don't intend to stay there. And so we can get into a debate about how long we end up <laughs> using an emergency site. Yep. And that debate's so gonna be legislation.
3: Uh, <laughs> so thank you thank yeah. you, yeah, you know that. for that. But, but, but can I, do, I, one I, I would say that letting people know that it wouldn't be there for that long might actually
0: help us. You know, the right. being at the community and telling them that they might. So, thanks for the merits on that. We're going to push for it. I don't, I, I don't think that that was a no, but that wasn't a complete yes. Yeah, no, and we're going to work with no, them it's to not figure out. It's a, let's
4: talk to me after and we'll, figure, right. out and we'll we figure out a way that works for everybody. everybody. We are committed under the plans. Thank you, Lord.
0: Thank you so much. Okay. Glad you're doing legislation because that
7: was going to be my first question of cool. what are you going to do? Because I think that it, hotels, when they. What are we going to do?
0: Well, Ex- absolutely, but I'm from. State, <laughs> I um, wish I could. So, and I need your support. This is not about no, me. This is about us. But I agree with. I
7: agree it. that you should do legislation. If the hotels come in and they come to for the community board, and there's legislation. It could be slated that if you ever decide to change it, you've got to come see us. With. Yep, I So got, that protects I the community. I'm glad we're on the same 100%. page and they support it. The second thing is um, the 24-hour notice, and I know this keeps going over and over, but we've got. X amount of shelters at Sunset Park yes. and it's always, last year I got an email, Christmas Eve, guess what, tomorrow we're moving in, so I understand that it's emergency, but when you talk to the community nobody believes that no one knows anything exactly. just the night before, yep. that's the problem that we have because we have to walk amongst people, we have to take the phone calls, we have to you know, disseminate the emails and people are angry, and I think that Not to say you guys are not doing a a good job, because your job is your job. We all know there's homeless people, everyone's compassionate about it, but this notice, it's gotta be kicked up a a huge level, because no one believes that the night before, that's when everybody finds out. Because where do you get the clients from? How is that assessed? Nobody (laughs) believes that. I don't, because when I got here Christmas Eve, and people started calling from community like, what's that down the block or whatever? There's no way explaining it in, a way.
0: Yeah, yeah thank you. i introduce um, you to as well.
8: Hi, um, my name is Blanca Rivera and I, I work in the community and I also live in the community. And my concern is what they were saying, the fact that no one knew. I live here and I work here. I found out yesterday at 4.30. Um, I went out into the community, I spoke to a lot of people and they had no idea that this was happening. My concern is that uh, Less than two months ago, we were at the school until 7 o'clock at night, until Jennifer from Carlos Menchaca's office came because we had a family who was homeless.
4: Mm-hmm.
8: And she was given the runaround at PATH, being a family here. Um, she was told, oh, we'll, we'll put the picture in a hotel until we send you to Honduras. And first of all, that was easy for them to say. So, yeah. of course, Carlos Menchaca's office stepped in and they took her to PATH. She's in a shelter. Here's the problem. She is an hour and a half away from the school, but to keep things normal for her children, she is keeping them here. I have another family who has a family here in in Red Hook, and she also travels an hour and a half to keep the child here at the school. What was the basis to choose that particular emergency hotel for a men's hotel when we have elementary, middle, and high school, close to where families can benefit from. We have a clinic, two hospitals, fire department, and there's a community. There's community-based organizations. We have um, uh, churches, and, and um, there's so much here for families. Why would we one? And you know, you can think whatever it, um, this might seem to be interpreting, but to put to make that hotel a men's hotel, not letting the community know. First of all, we are aware, and when we go outside, be mindful of the people. But we don't know. So we know that there are sex offenders.
4: That area, area, excuse me,
8: me me yes, can I just finish? They, that place is um, very dark. Um, Anyone walking around there, if they don't know that that's a homeless shelter, that's something else that you have to be aware of. Because, just because, I'm sorry, just because he's walking next to me, I'm not gonna say, oh, he could be a sex offender, but I already know that as a woman, I'm passing by a hotel, not a hotel where there are, you know, men, women, children. It's a hotel full of men in a dark area. And I know that it's like sex offenders have to stay so far away from school, but it's right down the street, and so I think it was da- it was done um, very diligently to keep it hidden from the community yes. because so. no one knows. On that,
0: that, that's that's spliced. There's a there's a case yeah. issue here, mm-hmm. um, and then there's a general the, the general question on the second part.
8: Can
1: I just take the second part first, and I'll talk about family, and um, that's not actually making my point about needing families' shelter in this neighborhood, but let me talk about. First point, and I led this meeting by talking about folks experiencing homelessness and necessarily criminals. I'm gonna say that point, right? I, I don't believe, not necessarily, not necessarily a criminal. I could be a criminal, I look great, right. no, so I don't true. think that it's because people like to i and criminal. I'm gonna take that first point because I sometimes that makes me, but people say stuff that really is not true. I don't want a black person in my neighborhood. I don't want to, hook, right? So that's, I want to make that point. But, but you're making do, my point for me, Blanca, about. To
8: do with one thing or another. What yeah. I'm saying is that. I I, I hear your point, I hear your point. Where there are so many schools and it was so. Pride, it doesn't feel like it was thought through like, well, this is a community where we can move this family shelter that's all the way I wherever and there are no yeah, elementary yeah. schools so and uh, here.
0: So I, I think
1: there's, there's, there's two, there's two, two questions. So I, I the, you know, um, like Lori said, Lori said we're not facing sex offenders in this facility, that's a hotel, first thing. The second thing is, we wanna open family shelters in this neighborhood because that same family could be placed in a family shelter in this neighborhood. We're trying to right size the system where traditionally don't have space in every single neighborhood, and we believe every neighborhood should have a permanent shelter, so that family, like I talked about, wouldn't have to go an hour and a half to school. If she's homeless, she should be in the neighborhood where she comes from, where her kid can continue to school without an hour and a half. That's the point I was making earlier. But the second thing is, for all of you to know, folks who come to PAP, if I took every person there, been, there's an eligibility process on the Families with Children's side. Lots of people don't know that. I ran intake. Lots of people come to me that's having problems with their family at home, there's a big fight, they end up at my door. And uh, we have social workers who mediate with families. We look at the diversion option for people, we do, right? Not every individual or family comes to me, they may need some temporary shelter, and I cannot tell you that every person who comes to me is going to get you know, a unit forever. so that's the first thing. But if we had <coughs> family shelters in this neighborhood, that would be helpful to me.
4: But I don't. And just okay. to okay. add to that, just to be clear, uh, hotel use is not as most appropriate for placing family right. and children. Right. And so we would not, the preference would not be to place a family with children in a hotel to begin with. And so because there's no family with children facility, that may be why the family is still having to travel. A, ho- a hotel is, is preferred to place a single adult population if there's an emergency. Sort of for we for families, we tend to want to, have units that are
2: more apartment-like style, so they can continue to cook for the family, sit together yeah. as a family, and feel like they're still in an apartment versus a hotel room that just has a bathroom and no cooking facilities.
1: And the other thing I want to make, so certainly you all know, that every facility has a provider that's working with each individual or family to assess what the individual needs are, right? So CORE is doing it for this particular location, or we have providers who work with us and we mandate um, what the expectations are, we want to make sure we're raising the bar around that so they get services and not just in hotels or shelters We're assessing their needs to see what that is. So if they need to get medical, they need to get whatever it is
0: we're working with that too. Okay, the next three questions, I want you to ask the questions one at a time. Short questions, and then you're going to answer all three of them at the same time. Robert, okay. Ben, and Zach. Three questions, go. Okay, my question
4: is this. You guys say that this thing has a curfew, right? Right. So what's the protocol for someone who just can't make it back on time? Are they sent away? Are they sent to are they are they, they bus to another location? Right. What are, there, so what's are the curfew? They, are, are they are they gonna wander around the community okay,
0: so. to find some well, A uh, curfew, what's the curfew protocol, Ben? Is there a min max time that it stays an emergency? situation, is there intention to turn this into a permanent, and if there is, what's the process for doing that? Okay. Uh, Min, max, permanent? She, just gone. got any comments for us, so just a will leave a brief like Question? Okay, you have a, you have a yeah, comment? comment okay, good. I want a question from you. Yes,
2: yeah, so my question is, there are a lot of community-based
7: organizations already here in Red Hook. Red Hook is a really small community, and I want to know what is DSS doing to protect the CBOs here in the community so that they are running this facility. Exactly. Okay, a non-profit.
3: Okay, great. So let's start with curf- the curfew. Curfew. Um, so there's a 10 p.m. curfew for clients to return back to shelter. If clients break curfew when they come in at 10.05 or 10.10, we are not going to turn them back into the community. We're going to make sure that we vet them. We try to keep clients compliant as close as possible to the curfew time. Um, but what we don't want to happen is a client returns at 10.15, and then they have to go back and be re-bedded. We won't do that, we will take the client in and we will make sure that they are secured for for the night uh, or we'll reassign them to another site if need be. But our goal is to make sure that we we do exactly what we are doing, which is making sure that folks are not in the street, right? Because we know if the client comes in, they're fed, we get them into bed, we get them back out to work in the morning then things will be successful. Some clients, they you know, not, not not some. Many clients face the same things we do. Clients get off of work. They're coming in late. The train runs late. They come in past curfew. We're going to get them into the bed because we want them back to work the next day, so that they can ultimately save enough money to exit. So I think that is that the that's, that's the curfew. That's the curfew question. On how it works. That's
4: what, that's what I'm saying. But like I said, if they come really late. Are you guys going to bust them to another location in the case of emergency there's, o-
2: there's also individuals that that may be working that work night shifts. In that case, core will, will will know who those individuals are. will give them a pass, and those individuals will be able to come back and and show their pass to security, and security will allow them to come into the building. And so, but core knows who are those individuals, right? Who work past curfew? They they will know who, who's who. No, so so these, are, these are
0: all working people, they're not going to be people staying all day long and stuff like that. So, right, um, so, and those that
2: are not employed, CORE will make sure to be working with them, right? They, they may maybe going to school, they may be going to a, to a job training. CORE is going to make sure to be working with them too. Those individuals, right, if they're going to school or if they're going to a job training, obviously they're not doing it past 10 p.m. unless they're taking night classes,
4: but again, know who those individuals And no
3: one's getting kicked out. No 10, 10, get kicked 10 o'clock in the morning, yeah, get out,
4: out. Come back about here, about. Just to make a very quick point, if there is an individual at any of our facilities that poses a, an ongoing issue or concern, either for the facility or the provider, the agency in conjunction with the provider can talk about ways to transfer them to a more appropriate facility. So if there is someone who is repeatedly not adhering to the rules or the policies and not a good fit for the site, we can work as an agency to identify another location for that individual. For this site, these, the goal is to have these individuals employed or working towards employment so they can go towards stability. So we are hoping that these are all people who want to be contributing members to your community and who are focused on getting back on. But no one's going to be like removed and no. Like no. sent hey, out every We're going to pause, we're gonna
0: pause this. After the Min-Max, and the shelter
3: process? Is, yeah, is we there have five a, minutes. is there
5: a minimum maximum time that it stays it has to stay in the emergency hotel status?
3: Uh, that's a question I'll defer over to Ms. Carter. Um, while while there's any emergency status, we will service them with our model proficiently. We'll make sure that we use all the resources and tools to move folks quickly. But the time frame we're hoping is less than longer, right?
5: That means that we will- Understood, but the I'm the good good good. wondering just, in the stat emergency status, is there a minimum or maximum time In terms so of, of keeping the hotel open? As emergency picture? status, yes. Right, so yep.
1: the hotels in general throughout the city, I'll plan to turn the tides to close them beginning of 20, end of 2021. In two weeks, it's January 19th, and as we bring bring shelters all, up, hotels, all hotels down by two. So the more, more permanent facilities that we get, <coughs> then we will treat
0: Do we so know if there's a thing, Do we know if there's an intention to turn this site into it a is permanent not,
1: shelter? No intention. No
0: intention. But to Blanca's point, we might want to start a committee for a permanent shelter for families for our neighborhood, and that's something that's part of next step.
1: And and what's, what I say, is I asked about how do we get meals case last
0: one? Yeah, the last business No, you said Oh, no. Oh, the-
1: you know. no. Oh, <laughs> no. <professor's> yes. <laughs> yes. I thought I was, not 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 <laughs> right. Oh, no. no, T. Yeah. just met you. Not not right. you like, <laughs> <a little laughs> sorry. I messed you up. We met. Yes. Yeah. And you That's a we twin. CBOs. Yes. CBOs. How do we get local CBOs to get open and run facilities? Right. Because there's a open-ended RFP process, right? I have an open-ended uh, RFP process where providers, even a developer, bring, you know, that, that RFP to send it to DHS, DSS, social, social, where it is rated. So if we have CBOs, and we don't go out and search for facilities for a permanent shelter, right? We don't, DHS, DHS, DSS, we don't do that. A private CBO provider will come to us through the open-ended RFP process. And that's year round, okay. right? So if there's a CBO that wants to do it in the community and has the space, right? Find a developer. We will work with that. They are rated through that process. Apple's office does that, right? And then if it's awarded,
7: then then we get to begin working with the CBO community board. But you're saying that this organization for, which I don't know that has been in Red Hook ever, is running hotel it's is the hotel shelter. This It's right. the emergency right. hotel So okay. then why does a non-profit from Red Hook have to have a facility already? No, 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 no. They, have they, have facility. Have they don't dollars. have that facility. They don't have that facility. They have to right. apply. Well, like
1: so there's two things, right? You develop our building that's here. There are hotels that are standard. <laughs> those hotels that Core is running right now for us is a hotel. To get a permanent shelter, you have to have a physical space. You have to have a facility. Well, I'm talking about this, this model. So we have we have contracts with providers right now that perform the service for us.
2: It's, it's the same. Model. So what
1: they're
4: saying is we have a nonprofit provider in the community who wants <laughs> to do to help operate facilities. That provider should connect with DHS to become <clears throat> someone who we <throat> are aware of and if opportunities are presented for them to bring facilities or to sign up to run a facility, they can work with us to do that. But we don't we're not familiar with those what Johnson is saying is that we don't go out and look for those individuals. They come to us usually with a plan or an idea of what is it they're trying to do. And I, I would add that
1: okay, if you we'll have the that want to come to DHS and learn about that and how do you do that, we're willing to do that. Yeah,
5: because we also have those affiliations. So back to the root floor. All right. Okay, so members. I, I, we're done. Yeah, 10 10? Can, oh, can I just oh. make a, one last comment? So, okay? Like so I'm a community activist and organizer. like. I was at a meeting last night. 168 people, homeless people, died last year. We have, as, we, we have to stop talking about them like they're they. Right. Stop. It has to stop. If everyone in the community, we want to help these people. They are brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles. We have to start talk, stop talking about them as they. Secondly, we have to stop the criminal conversation. It stops. The, the idea of homelessness starts, if you do all the studies, homelessness is as a result of mental illness, underemployment, displacement, uh, domestic violence, and, and disability, okay? so, and, and they'll have other stats. So the minute we start to talk about them being criminals, we're doing disservice to homeless people yeah. and to our community. It has to stop. It has to stop now. If we're gonna be people that care about these, these individuals, because they're aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, neighbors, that conversation has to stop now. Okay, exactly. So just quickly, second thing we have to be aware of is we need to then be those who welcome them by saying we want to shelter in our community because here's the reality: all homelessness. Is a social problem. They lack social capacity to to get help. Now they burn bridges. Some of it is reality of them burning bridges, but it's all all homelessness, all poverty is social, and so we need to surround them with care. And when we start talking to them as they and criminals, we are not serving them. That's it. Thank you, Zach. We're we're done with the meeting. I want to thank you all for your conversations and thank thank you, to Summit, thank you for for hosting
0: us.
6: Uh, like you have a need, comment. Uh, okay,
0: please. everyone, everyone, sit down. Really quick. Our host, I want to give them the last word, Natasha.
8: So um, as the representative of both organizations that work with children, Natasha personally, in my personal ministry, is to work with the homeless. However, I serve children, and it's important to know what's happening in the community where I serve children. Right. because there are almost 350 parents who send their kids to me. Yep. And it's important to myself and all the school people to know that. So while you give the elected officials 24 hours notice, mm-hmm. that's phenomenal. It's really important that we know because that's we right. have the the next generation in our hands. Mm-hmm. And we need to know how to keep them safe, not because everyone's a criminal, but as far as I'm concerned, when my kids walk out the door, I look at everyone yes. to make sure that they're safe. Uh, good job.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: Amen to that. And so uh, with that, I want to thank Summit for very quickly offering your space. I want to thank the incredible team at the administration who's here and, and was I think not only open and honest, um I think willing to come back to Red Hook because this is Red Hook. I think you showed the power of the golden rule of, of helping out our brothers and, and sisters as our neighbors. Thank you so much. We're gonna continue this conversation. Make sure that you sign in. My team's going to stay. I actually have to leave. If you have questions that need to be answered, we'll take those questions down, put them in a letter as a follow-up for all of you.
1: So I actually want to thank you I mean, I, I am willing and able and, you
7: know, want to talk about what we do, you know, what I do on social media,